This is episode 63 of Tunnel Vision. This week we talk about corporations and the digital therapy that they'll need to go through to understand this new world. We also talk about the XPRIZE Foundation with Mark Krinsky and whether competition can lead to cooperation. And we talk about influence and the different ways that people are trying to measure it. <laughs> <laughs> or not, or, bad, or badly. <laughs> Welcome to Tumble Vision, episode number 63. Here on Tumble Vision, we connect our human and tech selves. This is a weekly salon style podcast about how to connect and create a world that puts people at the center of business, tech, and culture. Each week, we explore various dimensions of tumbling with the smart folks creating this new world. What is tumbling, you might ask? comes from a Yiddish word, which means, which is to tumble. To tumble means to make noise, like the English word tumult. Tumblers were traditionally hired at weddings to encourage guests to dance and were comedians at Jewish bungalow colonies who were around all week connecting guests to each other and to themselves to create a sense of person of community and connection before they did their big show on the weekends. We believe that the answer to the question, how do you collaborate in a networked age? How do you run things? when life is not a bunch of command and control hierarchies, you tumble. The show is hosted by yours truly, Deb Schultz, sitting here this week in sunny yet windy San Francisco, and uh, Kevin Marks. Currently in my back garden inhaling pollen. Lovely. San Jose. Um, And... Our comedian and performance artist, Heather Gold, who unfortunately is home with a migraine this evening up in the north, the great north of Canada. Uh, Tonight, our guest is Mark Krinsky of the XPRIZE Foundation. Say hello, Mark. Hi, everybody. And uh, Mark, where you be this evening? I am in my humble abode in Chatsworth, California. Which is Southern California? Uh, yeah, Southern California, uh, about 45 minutes out of uh, the, the west side common area here in, in, in L.A. Cool, cool. So uh, typically for our show, we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about news events around the world and on the Internet that relate to tumbling and individuals who catalyze others to action. Um, and Kevin, what was the big – what do you think the biggest news in this area was this week? Well – I think the biggest one was was Joey Ito becoming the director of the MIT Media Lab, um, which is um, was announced in the middle of the week. Um, and if you don't know Joey, I'm kind of surprised because he seems to know everybody. But Joey is um, a Japanese angel investor, venture capitalist, company founder, um, Tumula um, par excellence, who, who has been connecting all the, the Web2 startups for the past 10 years. Uh, wonderful yeah. guy. And MIT hiring him is, is interesting because he never finished university. Um, he, he's kind of got bored with the, the formal thing and went off did interesting things on his own, like DJing and starting companies. Um, but it, I think it's an inspired appointment. I really look forward to, to, to seeing him um, shake that up. Yeah, I totally agree. Joey is sort of the definition. We say this almost about all of our guests, but he really is sort of like uh, in the geek Web 2.0 world for sure – 
Tumblr number one in a lot of ways. I worked with him when I was at Six Apart and knew him even before that. And not only does he, he, he sort of is that glue between communities and connections, both in the technology world as well as, uh, you know, as chairman of, um, of Creative Commons, correct? Um, and other things. He has, uh, he sort of is one of those people who understands that the technology isn't an end unto itself, but what it can do. Though he's incredibly geeky and what is he like, uber-leveled uh, World of Warcraft player. Uh, to me, it was very interesting as uh, in a sign that MIT sort of realizes that the future of, a, of the lab needs to be maybe perhaps more global. He's definitely a global citizen. Um, is is needs re, needs to refresh its sort of interdisciplinary understanding of things. And, you know... Um, I'm not really sure what else they were thinking about, but maybe maybe there's a funding issue. So I think it's a really wise choice. But knowing academic institutions, he has, if anything, does not have that trajectory, you know, of lots and lots of degrees. His degrees come from living in the world, not adding lots of three-letter acronyms at the end of his name. So I think that's that's a really interesting sign of sort of the openness of what needs to happen both in academia and business. That's my take on it, you know. Um, and uh, it, hopefully they'll, they'll be doing some really interesting stuff there and sort of opening their doors even more, maybe. What's your thought, Mark? I think it's interesting, especially the fact that, like, like you, you stated, he, he doesn't have a degree. And I, I think that's, you know, there seems to be a bit of a, a shift in, in that mindset now. There was a, an interesting story in TechCrunch about Peter Thiel and mm. something, something about, uh, I believe, approaching, you know, Top people at Harvard and getting them to basically leave the college um, to, to you know enter the startup world you know early on and I don't know there seems to be like a backlash at this point which is kind of interesting and in, in, in going down the academic path uh, so I don't know these are just two stories in the last couple of weeks that are that are kind of shedding some new light uh, down that path I find that part of this whole story pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of interesting. I mean, uh, I I always like to take a contrarian point of view on things like this about academia and going straight to practicality. It's sort of like, you know, the first round draft pick who decides to get, you know, go play on the team at 18. I, I, I do not, I would never want to have not had the four years in university that I had because I do think it exposes you to lots of things as well as deep thinking and, um, and, and exposure to lots of different types of people and places. Not that you can't get that in the real world as well, but there's something really beautiful about taking time out, if you can, as we've had the luxury to do, to sort of just broaden your horizons. And I think going straight into money-making propositions, we might lose something if everyone did that. I think it's a sign maybe that academia has to figure out more, um, in, just like business, to be more agile there have to be they have to be a little more agile about maybe um, how people learn and study and create more boundaries. We should get an e-learning person. We should get someone yeah. in the education higher education, you know, in here to think about that. Yeah, no, and I and I agree with you totally. Um, you know, I too am a college dropout, <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> but I have two kids, you know, and I opened up a 529 savings plan for them when they were, you know, two years old. And, and my right. goal has always been to put them through college because I do just, just like you said, I, there, there are some huge values there that, that I think are worth it. And yeah, I started my own business when I was young and, and I've, you know, and I've done fine and, and, and watched many friends go to four-year colleges, come out in debt and couldn't get a job. And, right. you know, it took them another five years before they could actually get on their feet. And here, you know, I had already started and sold one of my businesses. So, you know, it, 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 I still see the value. Um, and, and, you know, I wholeheartedly agree that everybody who can, uh, go through that process, but, you know, do it with eyes wide open. Um, right. There's a well, lot I of mean, stuff. Yeah. So. It's interesting because it, it relates to sort of, I hadn't thought about it in this context, you know, thinking about, you know, Joey as the head of the lab, but when I, two years after I graduated college was the first year that NYU started the interactive telecommunications program. All right. And, um, a very well-known, you know, Clay Shirky teaches there and it's very, Inter, it was the first sort of interdisciplinary um, program around tech and the internet out of NYU. And a lot of folks that we know have since graduated from there who've done, gone on to do things either like Foursquare or run other labs. And I literally, you know, filled out my whole application and remembered looking, you know, at the age of 24 or whatever, okay, I can go work on the web, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can go get a graduate degree from NYU because the web was exploding. It was like 94, right? The web was exploding. Right. And, I, and I, I didn't have the luxury for that 60K or whatever it was a year at that time. And also felt like, why don't I just do it? And to this day, looking back, I kind of regret it. So I, I, it's interesting because I, I don't know how much it impacts undergraduate, but I think graduate programs. You know, <laughs> why get a graduate degree unless it's law or doctor or things like that? I, I think we're going through that. Meyer says in the chat room, again, it's not you know, academia doesn't run on internet time, right? And that's exactly what I lived through, right? I was like, ITP or not. Only in hindsight did I sort of wish, I'm working with all the same people anyway, but you can never replace that time in that environment. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, in, but as you know, there are many parts. I mean, part of the point of the Media Lab is that it's designed to connect the two worlds. That, that's what it was for. You exactly. Know, it, was, it was designed to take money from industry use it for academic research that's a bit further out and feed the results back to industry. And that, that was, you know, the entire premise of the place. Um, and to, to attract researchers who are interested in those kind, of, the, those kind of fluid boundaries. So in that sense, I think Joey is a perfect bridge person to, right. to, to take over that role. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like they made him provost of Harvard. You know, the, 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 right. the point is he's, he's, this is a, a particular role, that, a particular institution that fits perfectly. Um, yeah, right. But but I think the difference is because you and I, Kevin, have had conversations about this because of the lab work that I've done Mm -hmm. coming from um, the business side with what I did with P&C and some others is that I think MIT has been suffering over over the last few years of of having too long of you, too long. Their research was too long, you know, in the sense that there wasn't a lot of web stuff in there. You know what I'm saying? So, so. Well, that's, I mean, there is is the sort of East Coast, West Coast tension as well. That's one of the sort of. In, in in jokes in the in the tech community is that um, right. uh, you know MIT tends to, to sort of come up with plans that take five years to finish, while and in the meantime the valleys you know turned six times and, and um, made them irrelevant. Um, right. And there, there's there's some cliche in that, and you know, the, but there's there's a, 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 grain, a grain of truth in it as well. You know, the well, W3C it, is, is is based at MIT, um, and they went a bit off the rails and became a bit ivory tower, and they've been sort of dragged back by a bunch of implementers from the valley. 
to build HTML5, for example. So there's, there, is, right. there, is a, there is a sense of that. Yeah, you always have those two tensions. Well, that's sort of the interesting thing. We had a couple of – this was also an interesting week. Uh, just to let everyone who's listening know, it, this is the week after Passover and Easter. I was completely offline, and yet all these little things happened this week, AW. So another big piece of news is sort of in our Tumblr world or tumbling world was um, something that happened to Dana Boyd this week, right? Who is it? Who is a Media Lab grand? Yes, um, exactly. So, yes, so Dana um, woke up yesterday and found that her Tumblr um, had disappeared um, and was her very Tumblr puzzled blog. By Her Tumblr blog. Her Tumblr blog, right. Um, and what had happened was um, her Tumblr blog is under the name of Zephoria, which is one of the names she uses online, um, and a company called Zephoria.com, who does um, SEO and internet consulting stuff, had... Um, called Tumblr and said, we have a trademark on this name, give it to us now. And they'd done that. Um, and apparently they tried to ping Dana and Dana hadn't seen it because it was Easter and Passover and things. And, you know, she only found out of it when, when it happened. But it's, it set off an interesting conversation, um, um, both on Dana's blog um, and also a couple of other places um, on uh, Tech Dirt and on um, Sue Charman's blog about um, what does it mean um, to, to own an identity online, you know, does a, does a brand or a trademark trump a human being? Um, and, you know, the importance of this kind of process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was sort of some of the takeaways? I mean, from a legal perspective, um, there's, you know, there's only that legalese, right? I'm a company and I've owned the rights to this name forever, right? Versus um, I'm a human being who's been using it for non-commercial purposes. So, uh, well, non, is- you know, non-directly commercial, I should say, because it is commercial if it's your brand. But um, yes. So ICANN went through this for domain names quite a few years back um, when people like Wendy Seltzer and Joey were, were on the ICANN board and trying to sort out that. And they have a re- resolution um, procedure um, that does give people with trademarks some degree of, of precedence. But the thing is, there are multiple jurisdictions for trademarks anyway. And so a right. lot of it comes down to good faith and bad faith. Uh-huh. Um, and the, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a very long and detailed commentary on the case law of all this at, on the Berkman Center. Um, but, you know, it, it which we to, will not, which we will not go into this evening. If you care about this stuff, great. Um, but the, the underlying thing is this tension between the human being and the brand, which is, you know, one of the, the core mm-hmm. things that, that is in our world. The idea of the personal brand um, is, feels like something that we're forced to do because we're fighting for these um, non-human beings that um, are, are taking over our, our names because they have more money than us. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird tension that we've only been living with kind of for 15 years, if you think about it, right? Maybe if that many, as your average human being, as opposed to the geeks in the corner, have been setting up websites and doing things. And it's only now that, you know, we're living in a time where every human on the planet has potentially the opportunity to create a space online. Yes. You know, one could argue, you know, um, you know third world issues, etc. But, you know, even then, if you could, you know, if you have 10 bucks and 
an internet cafe, you can have a place online. It, it kind of is interesting that tension between the the personal and the business. I mean, you know, we always keep saying this. We're going back to the fact that you know businesses were personal a couple thousand years ago. <laughs> you know, it was they weren't huge. The only thing that was a multinational conglomerate was the church and the whole and 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 invading armies. You know, <laughs> every business right. was personal. So it's 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 kind of like we're coming full circle, right? I think it's weird. It almost it almost sounds like it's a possible business opportunity, right? Like before, like when once Twitter started adding the verify, you know, verified uh, logo on, on certain accounts. You know, I don't, I don't remember. Are they the first person to actually do that, or has there been any other web services that have actually kind of qualified, you know, a real person before? Others have done that too. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think LinkedIn has done it, and Google has done it in some cases. Right. But yeah, uh, but, but the Google almost, process was pretty good. Yeah, but it's like interesting. It's a, like a business opportunity, right? Where where there's this global like label verifying somebody now, or verifying ownership, and and maybe almost act- acting as a catalyst across multiple service spanning multiple services to to kind of get you know people to buy in into this you know unique label. That would work everywhere to identify people properly and also so that people don't squat, you know, names on new – you know, every time a new service opens up, you know, you get squatters trying to get, you know, popular names. Like everyone's trying to get Scoble usually, you know, or something. You well, know, in one you, world. So anyways, but it just <laughs> yeah. seems like a business opportunity to, to kind of create a universal kind of verification service. That, that we'll take can, it. Yeah. Yeah, well, take it, it's a challenge. Take it, the is, is making. Yeah, I mean that, that was that was um, Keith Tears' real names startup. If, if you remember that, um, yes. where um, they set up this thing to verify names. Um, oh yeah, they, they got I do remember Microsoft that. to put it in their browser by default, so that if you just typed a name in without the .com on the end, it would go through real names instead. Um, so there was, you know, people have tried this before, and the problem becomes you you end up running into another namespace thing over again. In effect, that's what. Um, Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr have done. They've created these little private spaces where you have to go and fight for the name again. Um, and each of the new registries that get set up becomes this, right? You know, we're TumbleVision.tv because we, we pretend to be a TV show. We don't actually host living in Tuvalu. But if you actually start grabbing your um, name in, in all the domain registries around the world, that's going to end up costing you quite a lot of money. I know because I've bought mine in a lot of them. <laughs> so to me, what's really interesting is the verification... It's very interesting to note, like, let's just pick Twitter, which accounts are required to be verified or not. Like, no one cares whether I'm the verified. Like, when you're not a a celebrity, I mean, you know, with Kim Kardashian or a business like Apple or something, it's as if... My, verifying that I'm who I am is in, is my own problem, or no one cares. See, to me, it's also kind of psychosocially interesting to see which accounts the the company who owns the namespace, be it Twitter or someone else, feels it warrants telling you that it's a verified account. I mean, if you really wanted to dig into this, it's kind of interesting, right? Why yeah. why shouldn't you have a you know Kevin Marks's account have a verified next to it? Because someone it, it, out there it does on has. Google. Right, <laughs> right. But you, yeah. do you understand? I'm like, so yeah, it's interesting. Of, the determining factor for that, you're right. Yeah, and the determining factor is based on old principles, right. you know, on principles of the post-industrial sort of thing, which we always here on our show are trying to push against in in a lot of ways. That we're back to sort of the human side of things. I mean, I have no problem with. I think in the future, and you write it as a business issue, and probably not so far into the future, based on some of the work that 
the three of us on tonight's show have done with, you know, whether it's personal data ecosystem or VRM or other things, everyone will be verified with their namespace if they want to be. Yep. It should be because if, you know, there's, there should be no difference between, you, you, again, you have to have the opportunity to be anonymous if you want to, but you have to have the opportunity to announce to the world that this is my verified personal data. Which is the same thing that we're saying, right? So, okay, we're geeking out pretty early here tonight, but the point, the, the, but this comes back to the, the, the notion of personhood. So, I, I, I chucked right. the link in Charlie Strohs, um, where he says, you know, he pause, he has, pause. Kevin seems to think that everybody knows it's everybody on the internet. Who's Charlie? To those of us are listening tonight, it's a Scottish science fiction writer who has written a whole bunch of books um, through the Merchant Princes series, the Laundry series. Anyway, he's, he's, a, he's a Scottish sci-fi writer. Um, oh, you told but, me I have to read those books. That's on my list of yeah, books I must yes. read. There we go. Oh, I, okay. I, I'll, I'll put Amazon links into later on yes. um, when I stop talking. But he's, um, he's, he's got a great blog called antipope.org, um, which is another one of those like internet handles that you get by accident and are stuck with forever. Um, but the, the post I was talking about was he, he's got this post called Invaders from Mars where he says there is this problem that the, um, the world is being taken over by non-human um, people because in the 19th century we suddenly decided that corporations were people and the U.S. Supreme Court has taken this even further and we're stuck with um, the laws being written by these non-human entities that live longer than we do and have more money um, and are messing things up. And oh, interesting! It's, 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 you know, if you if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, whoa, that is kind of weird. Um, and it that is with, really weird. I never thought of it that way. So Evan Prodromo said something on Twitter the other day, which was Evan Prodromo is the founder of Status.net. We mentioned earlier. It all connects back, really. Um, he said, <laughs> ne- "Never follow it. Never follow anything without a face," which is like never eat anything with a face. Um, and the point is that corporations don't have faces; they have logos instead. Um, and if you go to the new Twitter.com page when you're logged out and, the, and it bubbles up all these, all these suggested icons of people to follow, um, half the time you get faces and half the time you get logos. So right. there's this, they're, they're sort of playing with the famous people and corporations are the same kind of thing, um, thing there. But there's still this distinction between the ones that have faces and the ones that don't. Um, and there's, well, this, I, yeah. there's this whole like personal brand cult that drives me up the wall well the personal brand cult drives me up a wall but the question that i often get when i'm dealing with businesses and it's really tough and i'll talk about this in connection with a talk i gave a a few weeks ago we didn't get to talk about is businesses are really struggling with this issue the people people at companies are struggling with this issue they're struggling with the issues uh, you know and you know yes as you know often says and myers and most of our most of our huge tumble fans uh here on the show that you know business bad but you know businesses might as an entity be greedy but the individual people at big corporations often are not you know they really want to do right um you know i try to look at the world through that lens and they struggle when they get online in their day job, do we put it with something as simple as am I, you know, does my avatar, my company logo, or is it me? Because that you know very well, they all know that people will respond better to them as a person, but yet they're representing the company. So it's, it's, it's a weird dichotomy. And I spoke a few weeks ago at the evil Coca Cola, for those who want to think of it. Oh, which dog is that? Which puppy? Oh, Sophie. Hang on. Hi, hi Sophie. 
Hi, Sophie. So, you know, I spoke at Coca-Cola and I gave a session about the sort of where digital, the digital world is at. And I literally, it turned into a digital therapy session. We talked, I mean, first of all, the room was loved the concept of tumbling and really wanted to talk about that and really started to think about the fact that really what they're trying to do is connect people and, and, you know, and what they want to do with it. And it, it ends up being digital. It ends up being like digital therapy. It ends up being like, you know, how, can I be myself online? How much can I share about myself? I'm with a company. How do I connect people? And so it, it, there is this huge tension. Yeah. Um, no, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I notice that a lot of people, and I probably should too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> post disclaimers when when they have a Twitter account and and they you know they say who they work for. You know, it's almost like you always have that disclaimer that these thoughts are mine and owned by me and not necessarily you know the views of my company. And and you know having that distinction is is you know more important today than I think it's it's been in the past. Where where you know a lot of these bigger companies are starting to realize that you know they've got all these employees out there. Uh, that that you know are voices, and you know in one one part of their stream they could be talking about the company and stuff, and in another part they're talking about personal life and mixing that. Um, you know that's one issue. And then when you talk, it's funny going down the personal brand path. You know you've got you've got the issues where people have their regular Facebook accounts, and then they've got you know fan pages they're creating for personal brands, which I've always found a little bit interesting. Um, and then to to even tap into a bigger you know, service that that's getting a lot of press lately and a lot of usage, and I played around with it a little bit. Is Empire Avenue, where you can buy and sell shares of of people, um, which is a, you know kind of a whole new spin on on on, on people trying to determine uh, kind of influence scores, right? So wow. That's, so yeah, if you haven't played with Empire Avenue, that's an interesting new service that has gotten quite a bit of usage in the last I'm, uh, week or I'm two. A f- Afraid. I'm very afraid. You can buy. It. Say that again, because that's just like I want it. It is a stock market for people, so you can buy and sell shares in your friends. I'll put a link to my profile yes. out there. Um, but Wait, it's it's. Did you say stock market or slave market? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, this is my assist. Stock... People have a history in North South Carolina. Exactly. It's a stock market. Um, yeah, so I just put a link to to me to my uh, profile out there. So it's it's basically based. So your stock value goes up and down depending on people buying shares in you, as well as the content you're creating across different social media services that you've linked up to your account. So I haven't spent a whole lot of time on it. I just played with it a little bit. I know Jeremiah Oying. Uh, I can see know, that he loves that. Yes, he oh, would love that. Yeah, he's spent a lot of time kind of playing with it and, and, and writing about it over the last couple of days. And, and I think he brought a huge uh, trove of people to join the service. Uh, and Scoble <laughs> did an interview with the founder, I think, about three weeks ago. And, and well, that's how I found yeah, out about it. So anyways, it's, it's just an interesting concept when you talk about personal brands. And now, you know, you can be a personal stock in a stock market now. So Oh, I'm so afraid. <laughs> I'm so afraid. Yeah, it's the whole influence thing. thing is going nuts. Well, it's a good thing that Heather isn't on because she would have just had an aneurysm. Because, I mean, you know, and I – and look, Sophie's upset too. Sophie, don't worry. There's no Empire Avenue for dogs yet. Oh, no. I need to send her to the house because the other dogs are in the house and she isn't. I'm not sure how she got out. Go ahead and okay. do that. But um, – uh, 
the reason that, you know, it's human nature to want to understand influence. I, I, I get that. And that what's what, we, you know, at least our culture is human nature, celebrity, whatever. But doing that kind of thing online, and I've talked to friends who are sort of real social ethnographers and sort of really do the deep work around understanding network analysis. And the problem with all these other things is that they're just high school 2.0. They, they sort of don't – they're such a hierarchical competitive model that isn't really what the web is about. And yes, it makes it easier for businesses, clout numbers and all that stuff, but they're missing sort of what's really going on underneath, which is what we talk about every week here on Tumble Vision, which is that it's the network and the links that make right. things work, not right. the pyramid. And um, – and I'm going to try not to be too earnest, Debbie, tonight, but that just doesn't you – know, you know, it's human nature. People like to bet and do stuff like that. I guess I should play with it and see what people are doing, but it just, it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It just, just sounds wrong. So we'll have to take a look at it and then talk about it next week or something. That's for sure. Cause yeah, I actually wrong. wrote a post on, on cloud and influence data. Uh, I just put a link out in the okay. chat room. And, and it's just, you know, there's a lot more that needs to happen to actually make any sense uh, from the data, the, the way I looked at it. I mean, you know, cloud alone, uh, well, initially, you know, it was, it was just Twitter, then it was Twitter and Facebook. But, you know, to me, a lot of the value of, of, of a person um, is their own voice on their own blogs, you know, to one degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, to me, that's, that's where I, you know, once you start seeing, um, someone's voice across different areas, uh, that, that's a really strong value and that wasn't being captured at all. Right. So, you know, I was talking about, you know, taking like feed burner numbers for a user's blog, you know, that to me is a, is a bigger level of influence than cloud is to a blogger. Um, Anyways, there's, there's no. This is good stuff. It's contextual. I mean, we talked about Dana. Yes. I I talk a lot. Her husband does a lot of work in this area as well. He now um, recently left Microsoft's um, Fuse Lab to go work at Social Flow, and we talk about this all the time. That people um, intentionally. So and we should have we should have Gilad on the show because talking about the real, un- you know, what's going on underneath, and it's it's in context. You you. It, it, it sounds like things like empire and cloud and all these sort of social network analysis and influence, uh, influence tools, not analysis, influence tools, the, the, the distinction that makes them work or not work this, uh, can be very subtle, right, and um, in how, how the algorithms are set up, et cetera. But uh, something like Empire Avenue, uh, <laughs> aren't, aren't past people as commodity it's a game. I look at it as a game. I mean, right. it's, if it's a game. If it's a game, yeah. that's fine. But if and businesses, some people, are, the businesses yeah. are going to start using it for influence number, like for some other, you know, I just that would be a big mistake. Not, <laughs> right. right. That's that's you know, my point. Gaming cloud is one thing. Gaming Empire Avenue is going to be a hell of a lot easier. Um, so. Right. You know, it's 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 a stock market. You know, and it's funny they've got chat rooms and people are creating indexes, and it's it's pretty chaotic already. Um, but it's 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 just an interesting, fun little thing to play around with. But yeah, if anybody starts taking the the values that are stored there for people seriously and and, and actually you know doing uh, something off of that data, that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, that that's my point. People is game fun. Where you know. 
we started doing that in junior high and we're going to do it till we die. You know, who's popular, who isn't? Do I feel whole? Do I, do, do you like me? Don't you like me? Am I important? Am I not important? That's sort of, we're wired that way. But, you know, you got to... But the other uh, thing is that we're, we're, we're better wired to, to make these judgments than machines are. Machines are really crap at this. Um, and also... Exactly. These things are always trying to produce a global answer rather than a local one, um, which, is, which is, you know, who's got the highest cloud score? It's like, you know, I played that game... Ten years, ago, seven years ago, with Technorati, we built the right. Technorati Rack Index. It's a great game to get people um, to play with it. But the thing is, it doesn't actually make any sense to to, to um, rank people globally because what matters is context. What matters, and that's the piece that your brain is good at. You say, okay, I trust this person to recommend a restaurant, but not to recommend a web server service. Um, and you have those model, that model of them in your head, and that's the that's the piece that we all do individually and together on the web. You know, we can we're doing that in parallel through these services like Twitter and and so on. Um, but the value comes from choosing the people that you want to mediate the world for you, or you know, or potentially you know, the, the companies can be there too with their logos instead of faces hey, and mediate okay. the world for you too if you if you care about them. But the the thing is, you're picking people as filters on the world rather than um, relying on machines to do that for you. You're, you're so right about that, Kevin, too, because, you know, one of the other things that I've been spending a lot of time kind of covering and writing about are the, these new social, you know, content readers. There's tons of them out there. You know, mm. it started with Flipboard, and and I wrote about this, you know, God, like almost two years ago about a social content reader that I, you know, my, what I envisioned as a great social content reader, and it was basically – you know, tapping into my social graph, just the people I follow, that's, that, that's the starting point for the filter for me, right? So if I, you know, I'm definitely into a lot of tech stuff. So I, you know, I have my filter there at the social graph level as the initial filter. And then if I could go in there and give personal, you know, cloud scores or personal influence scores based on just me, you know, then, then it's just, it's, it's a, it's a human filter based on just my own, um, my own uh, needs or requirements, and it's really just me defining a data point so that I can then, you know, receive the stream of data the way I want based on the scores I've given to users. So, you know, somebody who may have a cloud score of, of 25 or something, to me, there are 75 as far as the tech tech stories that they link out to or tech stories they write about. Exactly. So, so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's all about person, you know, we all have our own personal cloud score for somebody that it's almost always different than what's um, being aggregated by, you know, these algorithms. So Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. I love the way both of you said that you can't make it global. <laughs> it has to be local. And each individual and its relevance to me, my own personal. And, I, you know, who knows? Maybe in the future we'll get... We'll have better filters on some of that. So uh, I don't know. But <laughs> well, moving right along to our next segment, which is all about you, Mark Krinsky. So I want to give, uh, you know, we really thank you for giving um, giving us your time this evening. For, for those listening in, Mark is right there in the, min- in the middle of everything that XPRIZE Foundation is doing, um, running all their online web operations, and, and also has, has been online really sort of obsessed with a lot of the topics that we talk about here on TumbleVision, whether it's about live streaming or, uh, you know, personal data ecosystem stuff and VRM things that we've talked about. So, and you kind of really sort of uh, you know, work really hard at getting that sort of online community around XPRIZE going. Do you, for, for those who are not um, sort of 
familiar with XPRIZE? Because um, I think some people sort of have a misinterpretation of what it is. Can you sort of tell the folks listening what XPRIZE is all about and stuff? Sure, no problem. Um, so, you know, at, at a very, very high level, uh, we, you know, our, our tagline is revolution through competition. Um, we basically come up with uh, $10 million or greater prizes for different teams to compete for technologies to benefit humanity. That's pretty much what, what we do. So what we do is uh, we, uh, if I talk about the process, we, we have a prize development process where we, it's, think of it as call, almost like a startup, startup incubator where we have uh, a group that comes up with ideas and concepts. And we also, uh, at, like twice a year or, or Actually, I think it's once a year, not twice a year, but they, they meet with our uh, board of trustees and we invite a lot of other uh, different people to kind of present ideas. Um, and then from that, we, we draw upon, you know, we filter it down to just a couple ideas that, that we really feel could um, graduate into an actual prize. So we're incubating all these ideas um, and fleshing them out. And then eventually we, we start trying to get one to become a reality. Uh, so that, that's essentially how our process works. And once once we actually have a, a prize idea that, that we feel uh, is very viable and, and we want to launch it, that's when we actually go out to uh, different companies to sponsor it. So what, what happens is, you know, a, a company will come up with the actual $10 million prize. Um, and at that point, once once we uh, have a new prize that, that is actually launched, uh, we open it up for teams to actually register to compete for it. Um, and then we have a long process that goes beyond that but un- until we actually whittle down the actual teams in the competition. But at a high level, that's, that's pretty much uh, uh, how we go about it. And so in a way, you sort of do the, do the, 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 so the teams come together on their own. And now give me, like, what's an example of a team? Is it two, diff- two people? Do they, you know, is it an, uh, another nonprofit, another organization? Is it a guy in a garage? I don't know. So it varies depending on um, what the prize is and, and, and what we're working on. Uh, last year, we had the Progressive Insurance Automotive X Prize, and that was for creating a 100 mile per gallon or equivalent vehicle uh and so for that you know you, you we had all the way from just you know father and son garage team to you know a, a former indy car uh driver who actually put together a dream team um so cool. you know we run the gamut of of all sorts of levels of different people that compete you know and with the progressive one we we started out with uh, I, it was a hundred and, and a little over a hundred teams, you know, that shrunk down to 50, then to 30, you know, then to about 11 that were in the finals. Um, so, you know, it, it, it starts out with, with just all different, uh, types of, uh, levels of, of, of people, you know, and, and skill sets. And it's, uh, it's really exciting because, you know, these teams, the, the thing too, is it's international. So we have teams from all over the world that are competing for, for our competitions. So it's, uh, makes for a really interesting, <laughs> interesting challenge for them. Yeah. And how long does the competition, how do the, how long do they usually last? And, and sort of, do you continually connect with those people while they're, um, is it sort of – I'm trying to get a sense of the community around the, the prize while the competition is going, you know? 
Yeah, so uh, the competitions vary depending on what the challenge is. So the, the progressive insurance one that lasted uh, from inception to us giving out the actual uh, prize, I think it was about four years. And the thing about that competition is it was – at a fixed location, the teams are competing against each other um, at the same time. For the Google Lunar X Prize, uh, that competition was uh, launched in 2007, and it's got a runway past, uh, I think, around 2013. Um, and that one, you know, it's, it's basically trying to get a uh, uh, rover to land up on the moon. And, you know, what will happen is these different teams will have different um, – launch dates that they'll go after. So it'll be one at a time trying to actually make it happen as opposed to all of them at the same time. So, you know, landing a rover on the moon, a lot more different than creating a vehicle that gets 100 miles to the gallon. So, and uh, we have another competition later this year, which is our Oil Cleanup X Challenge, which is uh, people trying to come up with uh, different technologies to improve the ability to clean oil from the surface of the ocean. And that one, again, will be a competition with all the teams competing at the same time. Um, that's going to be done in Omset in New Jersey, which is a, a big uh, government tank facility to uh, uh, that they're letting us use to, for this competition. So every competition is different. <laughs> there is no you know, wow. fixed time frame or fixed type of groups of people that compete for them they all vary uh quite a bit so how do you keep track of all of this stuff how many and how many challenges are going on right now so uh right now we just have um the google lunar x prize and mm -hmm. the archon genomics uh x prize so the the art the genomics one is being able to sequence 100 genomes in 10 days for ten thousand dollars uh Per genome and oh my god <laughs> yeah so uh those are the two live prizes right now um and then the oil cleanup uh x challenge uh the reason it's called a challenge so anything under 10 million we call challenges okay. um and then anything 10 million and over is a prize um and we've got another challenge in the wings right now uh which is uh to to, um, it's a, a plastic debris challenge. So we uh, a while back we had uh, considered creating a, a prize or challenge to clean up this uh, mess in the ocean of plastic. It's about the size of Texas. It's over, you know, there's like over 200 billion pounds of plastics in the ocean, and there's a specific concentration about the size of Texas. Um, and we were going to create a challenge uh, to clean that up. So we went to the experts about that, um, as we do when we when we are actually you know kind of in this incubation phase uh, for a prize idea, and they came back to us and said, no, it's not about cleaning that mess. That's just a bandaid on the problem. What you guys mm -hmm. really need to work on is creating a biodegradable plastic that that can be out in the ocean and and dissipate out there. Much because, smarter way of looking at it. I like that. Right. So we pivoted <laughs> all right uh -huh. <laughs> and we actually started going down that path um and that's in the later stages right now in, in the incubation phase um and we're hoping that we, we can launch that one soon so um yeah that's kind of uh, and another one that we've got uh also possibly coming soon is an uh, autonomous uh auto uh prize kind of on the back of the uh the uh, uh, the other progressive prize. So, um, yeah, if you well, go to our website, so, so wasn't that yeah. a, wasn't that a DARPA challenge before? How's what's the interaction between those two? Because exactly. is that, is that rather similar. 
Yeah, it is going to be somewhat similar. I think the the difference is is that you know we're going you know pretty much all of our our prizes a lot of them uh, are going after uh, consumers. So uh, in fact, if I if I go to the website right now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we actually have website. If I go visit my own website, yeah, because on the autonomous auto one, it's uh, it is kind of interesting because we know right that Google's got autonomous autos and yes darpa had a challenge as well um for the autonomous auto uh but on ours um you know our, our real focus on the autonomous auto one is really to uh limit injuries and deaths you know and then also hopefully um uh create better fuel efficiency as well so there's a lot of a lot of benefits by having an autonomous auto that would remove a lot of the components that that we have out there right now and, and the current you know vehicles that we've got out there. So um, I'll put a link out to the uh, uh, the autonomous auto challenge in the chat room. Yeah, absolutely. So what? So you? It sounds to me like you tumble all day for your job. Are you doing that? As, <laughs> as you? Are you? You know, you're like you're like. Fi- are you, do you sort of help find people to, to, to? You know, do you always have more people applying for these prizes than you know what to do with? Are you connecting teams to each other sometimes? So, how would you say that you sort of like use the web to sort of connect all the all this? ball of string together right so so my role at the x prize is actually just to run of all, all uh, manage all of our websites and our web services so you know i joined them about four years ago as a contractor they had a static brochure site and i came in to uh basically build a cms for them so we looked at you know we looked down a couple different paths either buying something proprietary or, or you know looking at some of the commercial stuff out there or what I ended up recommending is we go with uh, open source Drupal um, and you know it's a nonprofit so you know one of the things early on was trying to keep costs down and um, I was a contractor for a little over a year I mean I for the Google and Rex prize back in 2007 um, I got them on Drupal both for the main foundation site and to launch the Google Interact Prize site. Um, and then I stuck around um, helping them out for <laughs> over a year. Uh, it was actually about a year and seven months. And it came to the point where just, you know, we, we had a good relationship together. And, and I really liked what, what the XPRIZE was doing. And uh, I joined them as an employee. Um, so, you know, I. Basically, what I what I do is really just try and find any types of technologies, uh, you know, web services, whatever I can do to, to help facilitate um, uh, both the sites as well as as tools for the uh, teams as well. So, f- for last year's uh, the Progressive Insurance Automotive X Prize. You know, I, I took a lot of the knowledge I have about a lot of web services, about live streaming, really about aggregating, you know, third-party content. So what we did was we took the, we had the teams essentially create accounts across uh, YouTube, Flickr. Um, they had their own blog, so we were pulling in their RSS feeds, and we basically aggregate all that content onto their team pages. So we kept it very simple for them to use whatever they wanted, and then just pulled in that data so that people could get a, a complete picture of all the media and content they were generating wherever they were on their team pages. Um, so that's kind of what you know what I do <laughs> for them. Um, wow, but you, but it seems like so it seems like that you sort of it's it's you sort of have to keep remembering that there are people behind all that all that data. 
Otherwise, it doesn't work. I, I mean, X Prize is really about a cause. I mean, it's like finding people have this burning. I mean, yeah, it's about the money, but. I mean, most of these people are applying for these prizes or challenges in their, you know, yeah, we're off time, right? We're about, you know, really just um, exposing teams or really, really talented people or groups of people that are innovating that don't have a voice, right? So we come up with a challenge or a prize where where we have these people that come out of nowhere that no one's ever heard of that are doing amazing things. Um, and that's really what we're all about, about, about exposing the world to these amazingly talented people um, and, and getting them to compete with each other. You know, the, the thing about our prizes, too, is, you know, even though we put up like 10 million, we usually see, you know, up to 100x uh, spent uh, of that prize money to win it. So, you know, we left. Really? Wait, say that again. So. About 100x expenditure over the prize money for the teams that that the teams spend to try and win it. In in total. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, it's a huge way to leverage, you know, a lot of a lot of people and and just it's an amazing way to to really try and, and, and get these really huge challenges overcome. Um, What's the foundation of like so? So on that note, I've I have a multiple part question for you. But so a you know so what's the history of the founding of X Prize and B why do all these companies you know go to X Prize to do like what's the motivation for Progressive and all these other companies to do some of this stuff? All right, so you know we started out uh, back in two thousand four when you know we had basically the the, the first. Uh, prize was the Ansari X Prize, and it was for creating a first, pri- a first private team that could build and launch a spacecraft capable of carrying, you know, three people to suborbital space, and they had to do it twice in, in two weeks. Um, so that was won by Bert Rattan. I mm-hmm. believe. I believe also that 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 they had end up spending more to win that prize than than the actual prize money. But what the payoff is for any team that wins any of our prizes or challenges, essentially, is their commercial viability, right? So Richard Branson was there when they won it and essentially bought the rights of the technology to create Virgin Galactic, which is, you know, now we, we essentially, with that prize, launched the, the private space industry. You know, before right. that, there was no SpaceX either. So now we've got Virgin Galactic that's going to be, you know, taking people to suborbital space in the near future. And then we've got SpaceX, which was created by Elon Musk, which is launching, mm-hmm. you know, rockets to space in the private sector. So, you know, it was really about taking – putting more of the control into the, the private uh, sector as opposed to the government sector with, with you know, relative to uh, space technology. Why, why did they start with space technology? What was sort of the background of why space? The final frontier? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's essentially the love of, of our uh, CEO. So, Got you it. know, he wanted to be an astronaut when he was a kid. Um, and he's always just had a love of space. Uh, and so, you know, essentially, you know, he, he felt that the only way to, to, to kind of you know, be able to, to get to that in his future was to come up with this prize idea and, and, and really try and launch the private uh, space industry. A lot of people don't, don't realize, but like uh, Eric Lindbergh, when, when he flew the Atlantic, it was to win a $25,000 prize. And that essentially launched the private um, uh, 
uh, aviation industry. Interesting, interesting. So, you know, so would you say that XPRIZE is sort of crowd? I mean, it's not crowdsourcing because teams come in. It's sort of it. Well, it's sort yeah. of public. It's sort of public sourcing in the world's problems. Mm-hmm. No, right? absolutely. I mean, you know, is that a way to think of it? Yep. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely is. I mean, it's it's you know, we put a challenge out there that you know we. How do you decide? How do you decide what the challenges should be? Well, so you were asking about like progressive, you know, investing in the money. So it's, you know, it's it's a good thing for a company to align themselves with us to overcome this challenge, especially if they're showing a, a value that they're going to bring to the world by aligning themselves with us, right? So think, right. About, think about the plastic debris uh, challenge that we're working on. You know, who are some companies that generate a ton of plastic that would love to align themselves with a biodegradable plastic? You know, so th- so those are the kinds of things and the kinds of companies that we go after. Is is who who is going to benefit the most? You know, publicly by by investing in, in creating these uh, innovations that'll overcome you know problems that we've got right. you know, in our society. So interesting, Kevin. Were you going to say something? I think you were about to. Um, I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was saying there was a long history of this. The, the Longitude Prize is, is, is the famous one from the 18th century, which was a prize to, um, by the British government to the first person who could find a way of measuring longitude. And they were expecting someone to come up with um, an astronomical solution and instead someone made a really good clock. Um, so there's, there is this sort of history of, of, of doing this by, by offering prizes. That, um, but the, 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 in some ways it's more symbolic now, isn't it? A lot, a lot of the, certainly the... Orbital um, comp- competitors there spent way more than the, the, than the value of the prize on b- building the spaceships, didn't they? Oh yeah, Google and our X Prize is yeah, it's going to be a lot more money spent than than the prize money without. It's sort of it, it's a catalyst. It's sort of there's something in our nature that when you say that it's a competition and a prize. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the good part of what we talked about earlier is bad with the influence scores. <laughs> it's taking that human nature for competition and winning and and putting it to good use right. rather than just popularity indexes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's it's gaming it in a different way exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's but I mean the other thing is that you know these the sort of cash value of these prizes is you know a, a good second stage venture round these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's really, you know, for a lot of these teams, they're really just going to capture their what they spent, you know, a percentage of it. You know, it could be 80% of what they spent or whatever the money is. But ultimately, it's it's the exposure that they get, uh, mm-hmm. the amount of press they get from us is, is you know – is what's really sought after because then you now you've got the exposure of, of you know all these companies that may be interested in buying your technology. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the really neat things too in the Progressive uh, Automotive X Prize is we had this team that was funded by Paul Allen, the Western Washington University team. Um, which was a bunch of students, and they actually made it very far. I think they were in the in the uh, final, the eleven finalists, um, and uh, I believe it was it's either two or three of those students that were on that team got hired by Tesla. <laughs> so, you know, that just gives you an idea of the exposure that we provide for these teams and, and some of the values that, that that those teams will get by competing in our prize. So it's a practical interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's totally practical. Have you? Here's a question that I mean, a la the tumbling theme. Have you 
ever seen that? Here's two questions that I have. Do you, A, once some do, do people just submit their solution at the end, or you do you do you sort of get to follow them on their journey? And the reason that I'm asking that is because, what if Team A? What if do you get to see? Wow, if I could put Team A and Team B together, hmm. like um, rocket ships. It has happened, I believe, where where uh, members from one team will go to another, or teams will uh, merge. But it was, it was mean, something that happened with the Netflix yeah. Prize, which was interesting. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking about, yeah. right? Because so the Netflix Prize was, was was similar in that they were saying, "Can you make a ten percent better recommendation for which yep, movies right. or to watch next?" It wasn't under X Prize, but it's, this, and you get a million dollars. And what they saw as um, different teams try different approaches, and they said, "Well, what if we combine approach A and approach B, and then we'll solve the problem?" Which is well, what they ended up doing. Is that happened with these with these these rocketry type ones, or is the, the physical coordination harder than the software coordination? Um, well, no. With uh, with a Google Owner Enterprise, I think, like I said, we've had a couple members shift teams or, or teams merge, and then uh, there's one team that's actually um, taken like an open source approach, and, and people apply to be part of their team. Uh, I think that's oh, Team Fred, that's cool. Team Frednet. Um, hmm. So. Yeah, they've, they've used the logic of, of kind of like open source, and, and different people will volunteer to work on different pieces uh, of technology or, or whatever that specific team's needs are. So, yeah, the, the, you know, the teams are very creative in, in, in to how they work and, and, and how they go about, you know, trying to, to achieve this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, because that's what I, I mean. Because I love the concept of you know the catalyzing through the ego of prize and all that. But it would be really neat if part of one one competition at some point would be that you sort of have to, sh- you know, you have to share with let's say your, the foundation what you're doing on the way, and then sort of be willing to sort of. I mean, because it would be such a crime if the if the answer. If, was out there, but you had to put the two puzzle pieces together. Well, right? you got to also understand these teams, like during the course of the competition, they're very secretive about the, a, a lot about their technologies. They, they're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to let the cat out of the bag as they're competing. Right, you know? right, right, right. But um, one of the things that was amazing um, for the, the Progressive Insurance Automotive X Prize is we had a, a team, uh, it was Team Tango, um, and it was... Uh, Pretty much just a, a, a one-man team, and there were so many. There was such a camaraderie, and and there were other teams that were coming to his aid when he was having problems with his car. Um, really, that, that got him out of a jam, and it was just it was amazing. You know, I mean, the camaraderie of these teams and what they go through, you know, over the course of several years to compete in our prizes. Um, you put them together, and, and they have that camaraderie that that that. You know that that just feeling between them that they're they're really you know all working towards the same goal, um, yet only a few of them are actually going to you know reach the finish line. But you know there's still that that amazing um, friendship well, that they build. Yeah. Well, they're the, well, they're the only other people who understand each other. That's the thing. You know, you, they have right. this sort of massive shared context. It's the, if you, you, exactly. The, the robo games people are like that. And if you know, robo right. games is kind of silly but kind of fun at the same time, which is. Lots of sort of competitions between people building different kinds of robots, and the ones everyone watches are like um, remote control things that try and um, destroy each other. But there's a whole bunch of other ones that are actually autonomous robots that, that try and do things too. Um, and again, they're they're competing, but the people they know best are the other competitors because they've they've been doing it for ten, fifteen years, and they, they keep seeing each other. Yeah, it's yes. a commonality. So let's talk about that for a minute. Why, you know, what is the um, 
the, you know, what are the factors or the elements that change or are needed for a team to sit off in the corner and be like, this is mine and I'm not going to share it to the end or I'm not going to help the other team versus when they do. What do you think some of the, uh, those elements are well. If the approaches are totally different, like like in in the Auto X Prize, you know, you had some teams that were all electric, you had some teams that were hybrids, and then you had some teams that were just you know all fuel, like ethanol. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it, you know, if if you've you know, and the thing is, if there's something goes wrong with a card, it's not necessarily the proprietary you know, logic that they're using to, to gain their fuel efficiency, then, you know, they're going to help each other. If they've got, you know, they see one guy that's just killing himself working on his own and they, you know, some of these teams had, you know, a dozen, if not more people on their teams on the ground, um, you know, they, they, they just have that compassion for each other. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when they have to keep some of their technology close to their vest and not share it versus, you know, what they're willing to share or help with each other. Um, and, you know, keep in mind during the course of this competition, like on our sites, um, they're generating content. We're having, you know, these teams are blogging about the steps. Well, that's that what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of that, right? They're recording videos. They're taking photos. They're they're blogging about um, the different challenges they're facing, or, or what pieces of the technology they're working on at any given time. Um, so you know they they build kind of that relationship with each other and all the fans. You know, a lot of these teams end up getting fans that are rallying and, and supporting them um, as well. So it's uh, it really makes for an interesting uh, uh, competition. Oh, t- like so. What are some of your? Well, do you have a favorite sort of story about some of that connection that happens? Like you said, one you know, one team will help another. Do you have a favorite, like yeah. weird, weird connection or a couple of them you want to share? Well, yeah, definitely. Probably the the most the, the the neatest story was once again Team Tango last year at the competition. They ended up. Uh, making it to the, I, th- I think it was also the, the finalist, the top 11. Um, but when he finally went out, he was doing one of the endurance tests, um, which was, I, I can't remember, I think it was about a 50 mile. Um, we did this at Michigan International Speedway in Detroit. I was actually out there for like a month during the competition. And um, I think it was like a 50 mile uh, uh, challenge that he was working on that event because we had about a dozen events. Um, and he, his, car actually ran out of juice uh i want to say like with half a lap to go um and everybody just felt just their heart was broken for this 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 really and what happened was both members of the x prize as well as other teams actually helped push him across that last half lap we were pushing his vehicle and at the very end, I, I think within like 50 feet of the finish line, he was finally able to get a little bit of juice and, and he crossed it on his own. And it's just the emotions that just poured out between the other team members and the XPRIZE staff. It was just amazing because this he had overcome so many challenges throughout the competition to make it to the top 11 um, that, you know, a lot of that just came out um, during that, that last uh, event that, you know, he made it finally finished through. So... You yeah, see, but- you see, like as much <laughs> as we love competition, the real emotional bonding happens when you help the other. <laughs> that's yeah. my point. Yes. Right? I mean, that's just, you know, so the more that competition can bring out the 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 
the ability for people to share with each other. It's 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 pretty cool stuff. Kevin, have you yep. ever done have you ever done anything sort of like this with any of you know team codathons or hackathons? And what do you think? Uh, you know, is this you know what's the is the solution better when people do it on their own and compete, or how do you motivate people to sort of? Well, I mean, going. I've, I've, I've done done a few weekend hackathons and, and organized right. a couple of those, and um, you know, the, the, there it's it's a it's a similar idea, but a much more constrained space because you say, okay, you got to do this in three days, right. um, and that can be a mixture because um, sometimes people will turn up looking for other people to, to work with. They say, okay, I can code. I need someone who can design and someone who can um, make a product pitch. Can we get together and do this? And that, that, that can be fun. Um, but the, the other thing is pe- people do, you know, kind of what you were saying was they'll turn up with a bunch of tools in their back pocket they've already got um, and start building something and then, then agglomerate other people as they go along. Um, but the, um, I think the, the collaboration piece, you know, the, the thing you were saying about, the people you know you best are the people who are trying to do the same thing as you. I think that applies in, in, in software tech in space. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, a, a lot of the, 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 the time I spend doing, you know, trying to agree on standards and stuff, it, it is often people who are basically competitors. If you think about HTML5, it's all the people who are building competing browsers agreeing on what the rules of the game are. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, that's, that, that's what the spec is. And that, that kind of process is, is, is encouraging. And part of the challenge is, you know, if you're setting up the prize in advance, that that's 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 a bit trickier. Whereas yes. if you're able to um, sort of set up the set up sort of a meta thing so that you're you're steering the goals in, in the same direction, that that can work very well too. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the reason I'm sort of thinking about a lot of this is I had this aha moment this this past week when I was hanging out with my nieces and nephews, and they're teenagers. Uh, t- teenagers young adults and we were playing settlers i don't know if you guys have ever played settlers um but basically it you know it's 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 a game where sort of like think of it it's a strategy game where sort of like a monopoly kind of thing but you do have to do bartering with other people and i found it fascinating that the two that the boys when they would play now this could just be my family would instantly just want to win at all (laughs) (laughs) at all costs you know i'm gonna win this i don't care and and you know even if it's sort of, um, you know, it was either I'm going to win or I'm going to make sure that that guy doesn't, even if it hurts me, right? Mm-hmm. And when the girls were playing, th- there was a lot more collaboration across teams to either help somebody win or it was just a really fascinating, you know, way of looking at what sort of makes some individuals be willing to you know, I will hurt myself so that that guy doesn't win or I will hurt myself yes. so that that person does win and collaborate. And it, it, it's – and frankly, the, the future is more about helping that other person win so we all win. Um, yep. And so, so I'd love to see XPRIZE do more things that are sort of forcing across boundaries in the future. You know, that would be kind of neat to see what, how that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, of course that depends on – the challenge as well right because yep. i think yeah. that that's the that's the really you know the solutions happen at the edges right and and i just wait, picture wait, all this great all this great mind mind power going after a challenge yet people are doing it separately uh, do you get better results that way or because you're competing or do you miss out because someone over there on the other team might have a 
just the solution you're looking for. No, you, it's it is good on the company. I'm just looking at Myers, and, and the chat room was talking about you know big projects used to always be done in house, right? So, so you know we're totally bucking that standard of, of you having just a limited set of people in your R and D department because you know the solutions right. not always handled by 12 people in an R and D department. You have to open right. up the you know open up these these issues and challenges to the world to to help you and and one of the perfect examples i think i sent out a, a link to a video and i'll send it again in the chat room um but there's this one specific story with uh, gold corp um that that basically had issues uh it was uh, a gold mine um i believe up in canada and they you know they had all their their people in there on, on doing the geolo- geological uh, surveying and stuff and they couldn't figure out how with all their data, they could find and locate where the gold was in this mine. And they essentially basically put out a, a half a million dollar prize, put 400 megs of, of their proprietary data and geological data out there. Um, and I think they had like 1,400 uh, different uh, people submit ideas um, from 50 different countries. Um, and eventually they got the solution and that half a million dollar investment turned into $6 billion of gold that they mined um, based on the data they captured from that person. So, wow. you know, the thing is, is the thing about our prizes is um, we don't own the IP, you know, once somebody wins it. That's they own their own IP. We just put the team up there. They win the prize and then they're off on their own with their own IP. But if you've got these companies that now take our model and essentially butcher their R&D department and create prizes um, with the stipulation that they're going to own the IP by the team that wins it, you know, that's a whole much better way of going about investing um, in, in the future, you know, innovations in your company than, than just trying to think you're going to hire the 12 smartest people that can handle it. Well, sure. I mean, P&G's well, you know, Innocentive started to do things yep. like that. And yep. P&G, you know, I worked with P, I worked closely with P&G on their Connect and Develop pro- program, and P&G's notoriously, I mean, this is all emblematic of pushing to be more open. And as we talk about here, in order to be more open and for teams to trust each other, they have to be vulnerable and there has to be trust and all that. P&G, notoriously silent and quiet and private, and they opened up to say, we need X in our R&D group and, you know, compete for it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Nike um, has, has also been pushing the boundaries of some of that. So, uh, you know, yay the Prize for sort of showing the way and teaching others how to do it, I think, is the, is the other point. Yeah, um, we've, uh, you know. we've seen a lot of people copy our model over the last couple of years, and, and we're happy about it, you know, frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's – a, it's a way better way to, to, to innovate, Um we even had a conference. Uh, we called it the the eye to eye conference, um, and we had a lot of different companies coming in and talking about how they were using, uh, you know, prize related uh, logic in their in their R and D efforts in house. Um, and sharing that information with other companies, you know, to, to give them an idea as to, you know, because a lot of companies, you know, have that concern. You know, if they open up the the curtain, you know, what's going to happen? Um, there's a lot of apprehension to doing it. So, you know, by having these different companies kind of provide their use cases as to as to how they did it and how effective it was, it, it really got um, other companies willing to, to, you know, take a chance. So. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm assuming that, uh, you know, it would be interesting. We're, we're going to have to wrap up, but it is interesting to think about what, you know, again, it gets back to digital, you know, sort of therapy. Companies realizing, wow, this give a little, get a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and and how much they sort of take what they've done with you and bring it back in-house to sort of say, hmm, you know, we go outside our company. Maybe we could even go outside a department 
right? You know, maybe the person who has this title might not be the only one who has the right answer. You know, that absolutely, of yeah. Even within a company, you're right. It's, yeah, it's other yeah. departments might have answers. So, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yes, we are not our titles, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. exactly. Kept, um, we've been we've been chatting for over an hour already. Can you believe it? This time has flown, man. Yeah. It so has. I want to I want to look in I want to look in the chat room and see if there are any other questions. But Kevin, was there, was there anything else you wanted to bring up on some of this stuff that comes to mind around Chumaling and X Prize stuff? Well, I think the, the other thing that, that strikes me about it is that um, having the sort of you're, often the challenges end up having sort of regular com- competitions or deadline pieces. You have to do this thing by this time. Is that, is that something that's structured in yours as well? Or? It depends. So right. the Google and Rex Prize is time-based. The right, that, that was the one I was thinking yeah. of, yeah. Right. So, yeah. so that, that means that the teams do end up like being near each other and, and seeing, seeing what each other do, and they do end up to, uh, to cross-pollinate in that way as well. But the other thing that strikes me is that, that um, after you've got to the point where like someone has solved it, that is often the time that you then have the secondary collaborations of saying, okay, we've solved this like in a one-off way. Now we need to actually turn it into a product. At this point, hiring some of those guys and the other teams um, would be a good idea. Um, you, you've proved that it's possible, and then you move into, the, into, that, into either that sort of conglomerate stage or potentially you move to the, the more um, thing that's close to the sort of standardization model that, that, that I was talking about before, where it's like, okay... There are three of us building, you know, um, um, Earth orbit vehicles. It would be great if we could actually exchange fuel and use the same infrastructure for that. Is that something that's, that's viable or not? Um, and so you, you find that there are, there are, the standardization urge comes after the invention urge. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, it could be really interesting to set up like the stages, like you just said, Kevin, and see what happens. Mm. Right. Like take a pause during the competition and say, okay, are you guys at a, at a point where, right? It, I mean, there's oh, I just so yeah. much you can do. Yeah. That's interesting. So you can say, okay, right. at this point, we've established that everyone is using this for this this subsystem. Right. Um, can we agree on the, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that we need to interoperate on with that? Can we agree on which way the screws are threaded or whatever? Yeah, it could be really interesting. I mean, just to add another layer of complexity into your job, Mark, because uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we do here. But it's all about how could we encourage sort of the co-opetition to to better everyone and instead of it just being. By, you mean you've seen some really cool stuff happen that are, that's less binary, right? Like win loss. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to think about what are the ways now that you have a number of case studies to sort of you know, outline what are the ways and what are the points where people are willing to share and can we build that into the system to have a better system? Kind of well, I, I, I love the idea of the co-opetition, you know, yeah. um, but that's not our model. That's probably not something, you know, we would do, but uh, I love the idea, I, you know, and I, and I think that, like I said, we, we see the spirit of camaraderie on the teams that are competing. Right. Um, but ultimately it's just, a, that's a different pathway to, right. to it. Um, it yeah. might take a year or two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as those things always do. You know, it gets a little fudgy. But, you know, we always like to throw complexity into the mix here. So that's Absolutely. It. It's always well, about coming up with new ideas. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, really appreciate you, your, your patience. with. We had a little technical difficulty starting this evening, folks. So um, internet time. And uh, is there anything, um, anything that you have that you want to tell us more about, like, 
you, you just said that you just had sort of a um, a big sort of company meeting about some upcoming prizes and things. Is yeah, that- so that was our visioneering uh, our, our visioneering uh, meeting, and that's where we were. We came up with uh, God. There was tons and tons of prize ideas. There were eight finalist uh, prize ideas that that were voted upon as being the top prize ideas. Um, and I'll put a link out in the chat room. Uh, um, for people who want to go see those eight ideas, one of them that was really cool was OnStar for the body. That was one of the neatest ones I thought. Um, OnStar for the body, like if I'm yeah. if I'm lo- if I'm lost, if I'm if, uh, I, if, if you're having health problems or uh-huh. you know, you're having a heart attack, and it would automatically you know notify uh, uh, you right. know like like a, like a, a hospital yeah. or something to pick you up in an ambulance or, but it goes beyond that. It's going to do a lot more. And what's interesting is it kind of, that one touches upon a lot, which we didn't talk about quantified self. I and, know. And, I forgot <laughs> to bring up quantified self. Uh, no worries. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the level of devices that are tracking our personal uh, activity, um, it's going to be a huge, huge area that's going to blow up over the next couple of years. I've been writing and covering a lot about that on, on live stream blog and and um it's going to be huge and uh, it's interesting to see that you know a lot of times when my the personal stuff and, and my hobbies and, and my work collide and this mm. was definitely a situation where that happened um because i've been writing a lot about these devices and, and life logging and quantified self and onstar for the body is <laughs> an xprize competition is essentially very similar and right along those same lines so um yeah. It, it's the RFID chip. Just, 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 just <laughs> stick the chip, stick the chip in me already, and get it over with. I know well, it's but there are people happen. who do have this, you know. Um, yeah. My 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 old colleague JP Rangaswamy has has the embedded computer in sure. his heart that keeps it running, yep. Um, yep. and will phone for help if it if, if bad stuff happens. You know, this stuff this stuff is is starting to 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 be built into people, but yep. um, and it'll it'll become more mainstream. I think it's very absolutely, much absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to have you back when we do a whole show on the quantified self. Yeah, we'll come back and talk live streaming next time. And yeah. <laughs> so much yeah. to talk about. I know. <laughs> but yes. yeah. I know the XPRIZE stuff is really, really interesting. And, and being able to get a peek and, and learn more about what we do, you know, is, 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 is interesting stuff. And I love talking about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll come back when you guys have some time to talk live streaming Absolutely. next time. Absolutely. You bet. Now, Kevin, do you have anything you want to share with the – with the team, we sort of discussed our tumul tips in in the context of the show tonight, so we don't have to go too deeply into that tonight. Anything you have Anything, coming up? Uh, coming up next week is Internet Identity Workshop, um, which is where a bunch of us people who care about standard stuff get together and, and talk about this. So you were talking, we were talking at the beginning of the show about how do you verify who people are, and we've got ways of doing that that don't involve there being one company that owns it um, and stuff like that. So that's a um, that's coming out next week in Mountain View. Yes, and for those interested, it's the um, IIW is usually the hashtag, and you can check them up online. I, unfortunately, will not be able to be there. I'm very sad, but I'm going to be in Copenhagen next week giving a uh, workshop that touches a lot on tumbling, and it is um, – a private workshop for a corporation, but it's on creating exceptional user experiences in this day and age. So it's bringing together technology and the human side to get sort of create a really interesting. I'll be doing a lot of talking about data visualization as emotion. So that should be kind of fun. Mm, uh, yeah, I'll share that with, with, with everyone when I get back. And I know Heather will have something coming up, but um, let's just, uh, for anyone who's listening, if you want to learn more about tumblers and 
Tummeling and, you know, this podcast. Um, you can visit TummelVision.tv, spelled T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N TV. You can check out our archived episodes with amazing guests. Um, they're not time-oriented specifically. There's always interesting topics. And you can find out how to listen and participate in the show every week live. The advantage of participating live is we do a great pre-show and a great post-show that we don't put in this podcast specifically. And we're every week Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Next week's guest, we're 90% confirmed with him, and I love him for doing this, is the one and only Joey Ito, now the new director of MIT Media Lab. And I'm sure it will be a very lively show. And Joey will be incredibly active in our chat room because he has his own personal chat room that's been up online live 24-7 for the past 15 years or so. <laughs> so being live will definitely be a big help. And I just want to say Tumble Vision is produced in Baltimore, Maryland by Andrew Hazlett of the new modern.net. And so please join us next week and check us out on iTunes. And with that, tumble out.